Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dominic Grimaldi here with Street Talk Theology. We take theology and bring it to the street, second part of a two-part series with Andrew Rappaport. Andrew, as I mentioned, is the executive director of Striving for Eternity in the Christian podcast community. But because this is a new show, Andrew, um, and then maybe people didn't listen last week, you want to give us a quick intro and maybe a couple of books that you wrote where people can get them if they need to, and then we'll get on with the questions. We are doing questions and answers with Andrew Rappaport, and I'm going to give it to Andrew for a minute just to let you know who he is. Well, first off, they should go back and listen to the last episode on your the podcast feed. So go I listen like that. to the podcast, go find it, Street Talk Theology, search for it, listen to last week's, and you should follow it so you don't miss an episode. Just saying, I don't know if you need to follow Street Talk Theology to get to heaven, <laughs> but why take the chance? All right. Uh, my, <laughs> I'm Andrew Rapport, the president and executive director of Striving Fraternity and the Christian podcast community. Uh, my two books that I've written are What Do They Believe and What Do We Believe? One's a systematic theology of the major Western religions. One's a systematic theology of Christianity. Uh, I have some podcasts that I do. The Rap Report, that's Andrew Rapport's Rap Report, Rap with Two Ps, and then Apologetics Live. So you can check those out. If you want to check anything about me out, just go to strivingfraternity.org. You can tell he's from New York. See how fast he got that in? Good job, man. That was fast. Hey, don't insult me. I'm from Jersey. I'm not a New Yorker like you. There's only two people. <laughs> there's only two people in this world: people that are from New York and people wish they were from New York. That's just the way I see it. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, no one, no one in heaven is going to be going. I wish I was from New York. Yeah, exactly. They're all going to say, "I'm glad uh -huh. I left New York." <laughs> Andrew, there's a term that theologians use called exegesis. And I always tell people that the Bible was not written to us. It was written for us. And I think that we have a lot of bad exegesis. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, we have great teachers and scholars by God's grace in this world. But Andrew, why is it so important to understand the original context of a passage, this is more theological. If you're not doing good exegesis and say you're preaching from eisegesis, something that it may mean to you, whatever, I would believe there's no power in the text. But tell us why good exegesis is really important and how do we know that we're doing good exegesis? Okay, let's first define some terms, because maybe not everyone knows what eisegesis, exegesis means. That's your exegesis. job, buddy. I'm only giving you the questions. <laughs> exegesis is to pull a meaning out of the text. Eisegesis is to put a meaning into the text. So basically, when you eisegete, you're giving the, the scripture, God's word, a meaning that, that was not intended. You're seeing something, you're reading something in that wasn't there. Now, how many of you enjoy being taken out of context? <laughs> yeah. You know, Dominic, I don't see a single hand raised. I I, yeah. I, I, I just don't, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? God doesn't like it either. <laughs> so 
we don't want to take God out of context. So, I mean, it's really dangerous to say, thus says the Lord and be wrong. Amen. And so we want to be careful when we look at scripture and say, this is the meaning of it to make sure that it's actually the meaning of it. So, so that's the, what we mean when we say eisegesis and exegesis is whether you're following the rules of interpretation or not, essentially. And the majority of people, unfortunately, eisegete. In other words, they, they put a meaning into the text, whether because of culture or maybe it's because that's what, how they grew up or it's just what they wish the Bible said. And some, because they follow systematic theology, they follow a systematic system that says, well, this is the meaning of this. Well, is it? Those systematic theologies, even the one I wrote, is written by men and can be wrong. In fact, I'm going to just go this far and say they are wrong somewhere. Every one of them. Well said. I don't know where I'm wrong. If I did, I'd I'd change. But I'm sure that when I stand at the feet of Christ, he's going to correct me and be like, you got that wrong, buddy. And that's the way it's going to be. Well, this is the reality. We have to recognize that that th- these things are that are written by men are just written by men. So how do we know we're following proper exegesis? Well, you have to understand and follow the rules of interpretation. Now, I will just say that I do have a a course you could take for free. If you go to strivingfraternity.org, go to our academy. We have a a class on biblical hermeneutics. That's the science of interpretation. And so we offer that free on the videos. You want to get the syllabuses, that, that costs. But it will walk you through 20 lessons of how to interpret. We also go to churches and teach just this. We go to churches just to teach people how to interpret the scriptures. So you have to understand the rules and there's just, there's too much to be able to to go through in this short time. But I'll just give one quick thing that will get 75% of it context. Mm -hmm. Just make sure that you're, what you're saying the Bible says in one verse is in agreement with what the context is before and afterwards, because that's the number one thing that people violate is one of the things people don't realize that we didn't have chapter breaks and verse breaks for hundreds of years until after the Bible was completed. That came later. It was never meant to be read verse by verse. It was meant to be read as a whole. And so we need to just keep track of the context that will save you a lot. Yeah, that's, that's well said. I think, and I think, that, you know, we've heard terms and they're kind of, you know, context is king and things like that. But I think it's important when you're teaching from the, and I, again, I, I I just wanted to say that I believe when you're in context doing proper exegesis, not eisegesis, I think there's power in the text. I think the, I don't think if you use an eisegesis, there's any power, even though it may sound good. I don't know if there's any power in the text. So um, I think that's an important thing is to use uh proper exegesis like andrew said and go to his go to the striving for eternity 20 free lessons if you're interested and i think today we need to be interested in that so here's something this is an easy one for you buddy this is i can just relax and listen so i want to be careful if you look in the old testament there were there is something called free will offerings and 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 again but once you get to the new testament people talk a lot about free will I just don't happen to see that word in the New Testament. I, I know that um, many scholars and Spurgeon says that 
you know, there's God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. They're kind of parallel and they kind of meet somewhere in heaven and praise God for that. But when we look at the term predestination over against the term free will, Andrew, how do we, I know this is, people like this stuff and I, I don't know if you'll be able to dot every I and cross every T. I see the look on your face like you've never been asked anything like this before, right, Andrew? This is the first time anybody's <laughs> asked you about this, right? I yeah, mean, I've never heard this question in my life. Yeah, yeah this is uh, Andrew's already <laughs> saying uh, he's probably going over. Oh, this is the seven million eight hundred and fifty six <laughs> time that I've been asked this. But I get every Q&A I've ever been in. <laughs> exactly. I'm surprised we saved it for the second uh, session. Right. But, you know, I know there is, you know, um, all that the father gives me, I won't cast out and then come to me all that you were heavy laden. And you got Romans nine. You know, uh, Jacob, I love thee, so I hate a world in the womb. And then Romans 10, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Andrew, how do we, well, Spurgeon says he couldn't. Well, listen, here's something. Spurgeon says he couldn't make these lines together, but maybe Andrew Rappaport can put them together for Street Talk Theology. I'm excited to hear his answer. Andrew, don't punt no, on this, no, buddy. No problem. It's easy. But let's, let's <laughs> I like with, that, let, see? Let's deal with some things first. First off, go back to last week's episode when we talked about language, right? Just because a word does, isn't in the Bible doesn't mean the idea is not in the Bible. Uh, uh, Let's be more precise. Do okay. we have a free will? We have a will. It's not free. It's enslaved to sin, according to Scripture. Amen. Read Romans. We have a will that's enslaved to sin. Therefore, it's not a free will. People mistaken free will for a ability to choose. We can choose, but that doesn't mean that our will is free from sin. It's enslaved to it. That's the idea of what a free will is. So when we speak of free will, we have to be careful because this is part of the thing that a lot of people don't do when they get into this discussion so, so we have a will that's enslaved to sin. That will is not free. So when we speak of this, we have to be careful because what happens in these discussions is people constantly say, well, I don't, we don't have a free will. And someone goes, well, I can make choices. Yes, you can make choices. But just because we can make choices doesn't mean we have a free will. It means we have a will, a will that's enslaved to sin. So that's the starting point. Okay. Now, I can tell you this just for a resource. If you go to Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report, just look up Rap Report, Rap with two Ps on any podcast app, search for old episodes. I have a bonus episode. It says bonus in it. Look for the word bonus or superintending. Uh, if you go and search, I know I've preached at some uh, some churches on this, but the doctrine of superintending is essential in understanding how to resolve this. What is the doctrine of superintending? We see this when it comes to inspiration of scripture. Who wrote Romans? Well, Paul wrote Romans. Well, not really. God wrote Romans Amen. through Paul so that Paul chose the words he wanted to write of his own accord. And yet every word was exactly as God intended it to be such that God gets 100% of the credit, not Paul, even though Paul actually wrote it. So when we see that doctrine in inspiration, we also see this doctrine of superintending. We can see it in sanctification. When we are believers, as believers, do we do good works? Well, we choose to do good works. 
that's our choice, but it's actually God working through us so that the very choices we make are exactly as he intended them to be so that he gets all the credit and not us. Well, now that we see this doctrine of superintending in the doctrine of inspiration, the doctrine of sanctification, I just apply that same doctrine to regeneration so that the choice that I experientially think that I made is exactly what God was working through me so that it's the choice was exactly what God intended to be such that he gets all the credit and I can't take any. It's the same doctrine. We can see it in other areas. We can apply it to the area of regeneration, and it really resolves the issue. Because did I choose God? Well, yes, experientially, I chose God. However, theologically, God chose me. Amen. I do have a paper on our website at strivingfraternity.org on Romans 9 and Romans 10. It's called God's Sovereignty and Human Responsibility. It tries to work through this. It's also contained in my book, What Do We Believe? on the chapter of salvation to try to work through this doctrine of superintending to explain how both are right. Yeah, that's, but we can't be precise in the, in the definitions of, of the words. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, because you look at, I, I've been preaching through Genesis, and you see some of the Genesis narratives, and people, you know, they're acting the way they're acting, whether or not they're circumventing birthrights or whatever it might be but everything is happening according to god's purpose at the end of the day no matter what rebecca does no matter what isaac does or whatever's going on is going to happen now they're not robotic obviously but they are things are working out according to way god the way god has planned um so that superintending is really a i think that's a helpful term I think that that um, that basically, you know, because people will tell me, well, it's and this is I really don't like hearing this. Well, it's not fair. God chose people from the foundations of the world. It's not fair that God chose anybody. It's not about that God uh, hated Esau. It's that God loved Jacob. That's the that's the thing that that surprises me. I think when you know your own heart only by God's grace that that those things come into play, but that's, that's a, I thank you for that answer. That's, I think that, I think that would definitely um, clear up some things, especially if they go, Andrew, where can they find that again? Well, the, a couple of different places, uh, the Rapport podcast has the superintending episode. There's okay. also, if they search first, uh, they search on line for me and, God's sovereignty, human responsibility, they could find it. But on Striving Fraternity, there's an article on God's sovereignty and human responsibility, Romans 9 and 10. And then also you can get my book, What Do We Believe? That chapter on salvation is there, has it there. I, you know, I know these times, I'm really having a good time, but I want to try to get, because I know Andrew's an Old Testament guy too. Um, But this is an interesting one. And I want to give the questions a fair amount of play here. And I, I, I probably want to add David to this because I think it was mentioned about David. But many pastors teach that Jesus was crucified on the same mountain that Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. And I think some people say that David also uh, in the mount of, of where he had uh, encountered the angel of the Lord or something was also that. Is this really true? And how do they know? And I, I, I want to help us with your knowledge of the Old Testament on this. Yeah, it does seem that those two locations, at least with offering of Isaac and Jesus, would be the same. Okay. Uh, I don't know about David. That one I don't know of. Yeah. But 
there there is one thing I'll say with this is a lot of people say that because it's there's so much similarity between Jesus's sacrifice and the sacrificing of Isaac that Isaac was a type of Christ. And and this is where I make a distinction. <clears throat> I don't say something is a type of Christ unless the Bible says it is. Mm. I would say there's a lot of similarities. And so how do they know? Well, they know because looking at the geography that's mentioned in scripture, the geography that's mentioned outside of scripture, we get a, an idea of where these places are. There's certain regions that were ha- inhabitable and certain ones that are habited. So that will help with figuring out where they could have been. So it's basically looking at maps and figuring out the regions that are being mentioned and comparing them. Yeah, that, that's a good point. You know, I, I always looked at, and again, I want to be careful, and I think this is more like you say, I if anybody was a type of, and again, I want to be careful with these types, but if anybody was a type of Christ, it was the lamb, because I think, you know, what's his, um, Isaac got, Isaac got spared, basically, maybe he's representing the people of God, right? And if, and maybe it's the the lamb that represents, or the the, the ram in the thicket that. But well, anyway, I want to deal with this one. You know, when when you see that it says that Jesus was in the ground for three days and three nights, like Jonah was in the uh, belly of the fish. Jonah was a type of Christ. Why? Because yes. Jesus said he was. That becomes the difference, right? I wouldn't say that. That Isaac was a type of Christ because the scripture doesn't say he is. I just say there's a lot of similarities between the two. So so here's something that just came to my mind. And this is something that it's it's my question, really. You know, um, you know, I'm serious because I, I think about this because I've been preaching through Genesis. And we know we know in Genesis. Again, I want to be careful. We know in Genesis that a lot of people act like rascals. We know that. But you notice, Andrew, and I'm, maybe you can help me on this. In the New Testament, they're not talking about how bad they're acting. They're looking more at the finished product. And I know these things preach well. I know when you say, I've, I've heard sermons, look at how could Jacob do this? And I always say to myself, how could Dominic do this? Never mind, how can Jacob do this? But you notice when you get to the New Testament, these men are looked upon as fathers of faith, the people that God chose and, and used to bring forth. I'm always careful in my preaching, and I want to be careful. I'm not trying to debunk anybody because I'm I'm a young pastor and a young preacher and, and things like that. You've been in ministry many years longer than I. But, you know, when you in the New Testament, they don't focus on some of the stuff you hear in sermons. They focus on the finished product because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Andrew, can I say that in the same? Andrew, Rappaport, Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham, and that dude from New York, Dominic, we're all works in progress. Thank God doesn't, thank God he doesn't look at our humanity. Not that Andrew probably has never made no mistakes, but I've made many. And thank God he doesn't look at me like when I'm trying to, you know, tell the king, hey, that's my sister instead of my wife. Like we would never do anything like that. You know, no way, no how. You know, Isaac would never, I would never say, hey, you know, she's my wife and once I, she's my sister. And then once I get her alone, I'll, you know, start, you know, fooling around or whatever. So I, anyway, I'm going to stop. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to pass the baton to you before I get myself in trouble. 
Andrew will never let me on the Christian podcast community again. He's laughing. What the heck? I would never Sorry. laugh at you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love this dude, man. This dude is so good that I could talk to him for hours. All right. I'm not looking for a positive answer. I'm not trying to bribe you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I I I just think that when it when it we look at the the question regarding the Isaac and Jesus, we just look at the locations as far as the types. It does broaden it. There's a lot of people that do get very much into typology and looking at things to say, oh, look at this, look at this. And they may be right. Amen. Maybe maybe Isaac is a type of Christ. But guess what? When I stand before Jesus, he's not going to tell me you went too far with my word. <laughs> he's going to say you didn't go far enough. And I'm OK with that. I I would personally much rather Jesus tell me you didn't go far enough than say you you misquoted me you got me wrong <laughs> I, I just yeah. want to play it safe Amen. so for my Presbyterian friends out there listening you you understand the the regulatory principle of worship that in worship you don't want to go beyond what Scripture says you can do in worship I have that same view. When it comes to biblical interpretation, I don't want to go beyond what scripture says in my interpretation. Hence, I'm not Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, I just got in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I want to, I wanted to get back to the New Testament writers not really looking at the faults a lot of times where um, some of the Christian preachers and teachers are focusing on how bad Abraham was. You know, and but the New Testament writers are really not focusing on that. And I'm not saying oh, no, they are. Oh, no, well, no, no. Read, read the Gospels. I mean, here's the thing. Read the Gospels. And what do you see? The Jewish leaders get what Jesus is saying. The Gentiles get what Jesus is saying. The only people who don't get it are the disciples. They look like complete idiots over and over again. No, without a doubt. I'm, I'm talking you know, about we get to Hebrews and they start talking about Isaac and Jacob and things like well, that. Because, because they're looking that's specific to looking at their, their life as a faith. And as a finished product, not, right? Yeah. So I mean yeah. Philippians one, I mean it's a good thing that we're God's not done with us. He's not only the author, but the finisher of it of our faith. And that's important because we're not done when when our life on earth is done, people can look back and tell us how you know, tell others how faithful we were. But we wait till the finished product because there's plenty of people who people thought were faithful and then looked at the finished product and said, no, they weren't. They were hypocrites that stopped pretending. Amen. Okay. I got one here. I was just looking at this. I, we almost got all these. I know we probably have time for one more. This one, maybe not. Maybe you, maybe you'll nail this in 30 seconds, I, but I doubt it. If the Holy Spirit is teaching prophets apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and all believers. Why don't we all have the same exact doctrine? Is the Holy Spirit teaching different things to different congregants? Right up your alley, buddy. Yeah. No, no the, the Holy Spirit is not teaching different things to different congregants. <laughs> you, had to see one, his, you had to see his face when I asked him that question. <laughs> there's one interpretation and many applications. The problem is not with the Holy Spirit or the Word of God. The problem is with you and I that we don't consistently follow the rules of interpretation. If, if we could be consistent and never break those rules, we would have an accurate view. 
Now, part of the problem is people have a different different rules. And this is part of the problem. People will say, well, oh, well, the Bible is a special book, so we have a different way of interpreting it. And therefore, we interpret it figuratively, and we have to have this Christocentric view of the scripture. So we got to find Christ in things. So when, when you have Song of Solomon talking about a godly marriage, the love that you should have within a marriage, no, that's really Christ in the church. So, so the book had no meaning for a thousand years. People will do that because they're, they're look, they have one verse where it says that the Old Testament points to Christ. And so now they're looking for everything. And, and some of them will get, go into Leviticus where it talks about, you know, a house that can have leprosy and they're trying to make that about Christ. No, oh, well, that's the house is the house of God, which is the body of Christ, which is the church. And you have evil with it. No, that's not what it's saying at all. Mm. It, it's saying that your house could have germs on it. Like, hey, you ever hear of COVID? And, and people were washing their vegetables and, and their, their groceries before bringing it in the house. Remember what's those co- days? What's COVID? What is COVID? Yeah. What's that yeah, thing? Right. So the, the reality is, is that sometimes people come up with different rules of interpretation. So the first thing we got to do is we got to make sure we have the same rules. Then we got to follow them. Man, this is crazy, man. I So here's something. Maybe, Andrew, I don't know how to do show notes and stuff, but this you're not going to be able to answer this. Maybe there's some way I can get the answer and put it in the show notes, but I don't know how to do that. But it says, and, and again, I don't know. I was trying to. I don't know if he's talking about preterist uh, or amillennial. This is an end times thing. We don't have time, but maybe something you can send me so I can get the answer. It says some well-known amillennial pastors teach from the pulpit that the Antichrist has already come, even though this is a matter of end times doctrine. Is it heresy? Why or why not? Will you answer me that in an email? Yeah, well, I can answer it quicker. Uh, okay, the ahead. No, if you got, not, you got a heresy. minute, man. You got a minute yeah, and a half. Go do it. It's it's not heresy because they could be right. We could be wrong. They could, you know, we, this is, we won't know for sure until after it happens. Mm-hmm. Just like the first coming, so many people missed it. I think there's going to be a lot of people wrong in the second coming. Is it heresy? No, it doesn't deny that Jesus is returning. Amen. Oh, man, that was great. We got every question, buddy. Every question. So we, well, the one, the one question I have is for you is when do I get to try your wife's good cooking? That's what I want to know. Rachel, you hear Andrew? <laughs> you hear him? He wants some, uh, let me see. What, what, what was the last dish? She, oh, you know what she made the other day? We better get off the air. But you know what she made the other day? She made pasta uh, vazoo. She made macaroni with the beans. Ooh. And uh, she loads that with olive oil and garlic and then keeps the hot wow. water on the table so it doesn't dry out. There's a little trick there, Andrew. Hey, folks, this is what he does. He just tortures me by making my mouth just desire good Italian food, and and he doesn't come through with it. Listen, this is Street Talk Theology. Pray for Andrew. He's on another mission. He's always on missionary trips, but he'll be gone for about a month. Pray for him. This is Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and bring it to the streets. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.